0: So now, why don't we stand <laughs> for the reading of God's word? Uh, this is one of the great texts. You know, when we sing some of these songs that were written by brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on long before us, and we see their love for this Christ who shed his precious blood for them, we just see, don't you see how we are tied together with this global and historic family for which Christ gave his life? Well, we think about it in 1 Peter as we come to 1 Peter chapter 1. Today we'll be reading from verse 22. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse 21 and through chapter 2, verse 3. What we have read so far up to this point is that when we place our faith in Christ, we are made alive to God, to a living hope. And when that happens, we begin a life that becomes more and more like God himself, by God's grace and through his power. And the thing that motivates us is that we are so grateful for the precious blood of Jesus. So that brings us to verse 21. Uh, Through Jesus, this one who shed his precious blood for us, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. So now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, So that you have sincere love for your brothers love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, we live in a world where most of us want good things to happen right now. It starts when we're children. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They don't want to stay in the car. And it just continues through our whole lives. Uh, I see it everywhere. Uh, In business, I've seen the little books. One-minute manager. This is the way to develop a life. You know, spend one minute with that person. Uh, In food, you see it. I saw a really funny thing at the store the other day. Microwaved gourmet meals. I mean, is it possible microwave gourmet meals Uh, i see it all through athletics going all the way back now to junior and senior high school the use of steroids to try to instantaneously get that, that kind of strength that that really takes years and years and years to develop well the fact is that many good things maybe most good things take a lot of time and usually a lot of discipline and a lot of effort and if you can grasp that Then we're going to come back to God's word and we're going to see that the Bible teaches us and first Peter specifically tells us that one of those things that is beautiful and wonderful, but doesn't happen instantaneously is what God is doing in our lives, remaking us to become like Christ, which is what God says that he has promised. As I've said, when we come to Christ, we are made alive to God. We become children in Christ, and we are promised that we're going to grow to become like Christ. What, what did Paul say in Second Corinthians? You are new creations in Christ. The old is gone; the new has come. Well, the question is, though, why does it take God so long to recreate us? Uh, Book of Ephesians, uh, chapter two. Do you remember? It? We are God's workmanship. We're God's workmanship, created to live lives as God means for us to live them. And the word for workmanship was, we're God's poem. We're God's poem, what he's writing. And sometimes we wonder, why does it God, why does God take so long to write this poem in my life? Do you remember Denny Balesi used to preach to us? <clears throat> Excuse me. And Denny would look at the church and he would say, you people at Lake Avenue Church, you're a piece of work. Do any of you remember that? Well, he's right. That's what we are. But we are God's work. But having said that, one of the biggest issues that followers of Jesus wrestle with is why is it taking me so long to become what God would have me to be? Uh, Any pastor who loves his people needs to take time to think about that and talk about that. It's, It's one of the greatest sources of frustration for people. First, Peter talks about it sometimes we become frustrated because life is so hard. And that's what First Peter is about. And we wonder, where is God in these really tough times? And I'm sure that many of you are wrestling with that. But I think even more often, we look at ourselves and we wonder, why is it taking me so long to walk with the Lord? The same temptations we wrestled with years ago, some of us are continuing to wrestle with them. And we become disillusioned and, and discouraged, disappointed. And what we have is because we have this longing for things to happen immediately, Sometimes we try to find some instant solution uh, to this problem. Uh, We want to find some ecstatic experience that will get us there today. Some revival experience that will make us poof immediately perfect Christians. Or or we say, oh, it doesn't work in this church. I'm going to go find another one. (laughs) But what happens is we find somebody who's had that experience or we spend a bit more time with those people in that other church. And, and you know what we find out about them? They're a piece of work too. <laughs> God isn't done with them either. I mean, even Paul would say it in Philippians chapter 3. I'm not saying that I've arrived yet. But this is where I'm headed. Toward becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Well, today, brothers and sisters, this is what I want to talk to you about. Because I think the text we come to today in First Peter. First Peter 1 beginning with verse 22 to 1 Peter 2, verse 3, is one of the most concise and one of the clearest texts that speaks to us about this matter of us walking with God that all of us experience. I hardly know any more important message I could talk with us about. So it's going to be so simple in one sense. First, I'm going to pull back just like Peter does to the the experience that starts it all, uh, that, that begins this life with God. Then, too, I'm going to do like he does, go to the end and say the process, there is a process that gets us from this birth to the point where we are spiritually mature. But then in between where we are now, this in-between time from the time we come to Christ to the time he finishes his work in us, how can we really be sure that we're alive to God and that we are his children? And I pray that God would speak to us. You can pray for me that I'll be as clear as Peter is in this word. So first, let's think about how it begins. The experience that starts our lives with God. Because the text that we look at is kind of like a bookend. It begins with that and it ends with that. So I've taken a few parts of it to show you on the screen. You have been born again. And, and, and this birth is not a perishable seed. This birth that God gives is of imperishable seed. And it comes Through the living and enduring word of God. And then at the very end in chapter 2 verse 3. He said this is what's happened to you. You have already tasted. And you have seen that the Lord is good. Now I think one of the reasons. Why we become a bit discouraged in our walk with God. Is what I call a um, spiritual inferiority complex. Does that make any sense to you? A spiritual inferiority complex. Because, you know, we come to church, and here we put on our our good clothes, some of us do. Uh, We try to look good, we try to smile and sing, but we still know ourselves, don't we? There are parts of ourselves that we don't want anybody else to know about. It's always quite shocking when we find out that our husband or wife or children or those who are close to us know them anyway, they just see it. But we try to hide them from other people, but we can't hide them from ourselves. And surely we cannot hide them from God. And so we come into church knowing those things are in our lives. Sometimes we give them back to God. And then we seem to take them back again as soon as we get out of church. And this makes us sometimes wonder, is this real? Is this real? Do I really belong to God? It, it happens to those who are brand new believers. Some of you know this. Uh, you, you come into church You've just given your life to Christ. And yet you still know how far you fall short from what you believe God would have you to be. And then you look around at all all the rest of us in the church and we seem to have, you know, be so, so perfect somehow. You know, you look at all these halos that all of us at Lake Avenue Church have that are just glowing here. And you wonder, I could never be like that, you think. I I should be. I, I can never be like that. And then those of us who you think have the halos. We've been walking with the Lord as long as I have for, for now decades and decades. We look at ourselves and say, I've, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Why is it that I still wrestle with that? Why is it that those kind of thoughts still sometimes rush in? Why is it that I still say those kinds of things? And, and we get to this point that we wonder, do I really belong to Christ? We feel demoralized. Sometimes we, we give up hope. Well, I'm telling you, Peter's words that we look at today are addressed specifically to those kinds of thoughts. On one side, he wants us to be honest enough to know we can't do it ourselves. We need a birth that God alone can give. But he reminds us, Christians, and those of you who aren't, you need to hear it. He reminds us of what brought us to Christ in the first place, that we couldn't do it on our own. And that we needed something from God, and God gave us a new birth. It is his work. You have been born again. That that He said it in chapter one, verse three, that when you come to Christ there is a new life that begins. And he says it again here in chapter two, and at the end of chapter one, that you have been born again. And birth is something we can't give ourselves. I mean, that's just something we don't do, right? Any of any of you Give birth to yourself physically? John? No? Julian? Maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll go talk with you about that. I'm going to send the physicians over to see you. We, we know this, that birth is something that others give to us. But, and we also know this, that we have to become alive before we can live. And what Peter wants to remind us of is, listen, this new life that you have with God, where you didn't know him before and now you know him as your father, is something that God has given And different from physical birth, spiritual birth, is of an imperishable seed that what God gives lasts. Now, we do have a role to play, and that is to receive that word of truth. Uh, And the way he puts it, now that you have purified yourselves, actually he talks about your soul's inner psyches being purified. But it comes through your obedient faith. To the word of truth that comes. That's, that's what he says. Our role is to respond in faith to the word of God when it comes. To see our need of God so the gospel comes to you. And you need to think about again, when did that gospel first come? Who brought the message of Jesus first to you? Was it your parents? Maybe maybe a preacher. My, my b- privilege sometimes is sometimes people just walk in saying something's missing. And I get to say, what's missing is God. <laughs> and you can know him through faith in Jesus. Just remember that. And then when you believe, that's your, your is to respond to what he has done. That word of truth comes to you and then he makes us alive. And the word that he uses here for the second time in the letter is born again. I know some people don't like that word. I, I keep saying that every time we come to it in the Bible, but I'm telling you, I love it. And it makes so much sense about what happens. Because we can be physically alive, but not be alive to God. We, we can be dead and, and still be alive. You may be sitting next to a spiritual corpse this morning. You might be one of those. You can be physically alive, but not spiritually alive, knowing that somehow there is a God, but not knowing God. But whenever you trust Jesus, God makes you alive to him. And when that life happens, it lasts. And so, so Peter quotes uh, Isaiah here. He said, you have been, in verse 23, born again through the living and enduring word of God. Now we read that. You're made alive through the word of God. And you think, does that mean we read the Bible a lot? And the more I read it, then somehow, someday, poof, I become alive. Well, no, that's not what it's talking about. This is a different use of the word of God. And this is why I'm so glad, those of you who are visiting, we started in the book of Genesis this year. And in Genesis chapter 1, we saw the other way that the word of God is used in the Bible. And that is, when there was nothing in this world and God created, how did he create? He spoke the word of God is that word that creates and brings things into being. And that's the way that he uses it. Isaiah chapter 40. Peter now is going to quote him. And Isaiah says, this is what it's like. All men, and really it's all people, are like grass. The women, yes, we men are like grass. I, I know that's true. All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. So what happens to grass? Grass withers flowers fall. But I'm telling you, when God speaks and brings something into being, the word of the Lord lasts forever. And then this wonderful phrase underscore it at the end of chapter of chapter one. This is the word that was proclaimed to you. So you see what he's saying when when the message of Jesus comes to you and you say, this is true. I believe it. I I trust God for what you have done through Jesus Christ. God speaks his life to you. He gives his spirit to you and he begins a life in you that he will bring to completion. Uh, Am I speaking clearly about this? To me, it is is such a basic part of the the message. The message of Jesus about the forgiveness of sins and, and the beginning of a new life is something that is offered to all. It is received by faith and when we believe in it. It is the power of God to rescue us and to save us and to begin remaking us. What is it like? Uh, Well, maybe the physical illustration is the best one. It's like a woman... It's like when you were pregnant. Uh, Before you were pregnant, there was no child there. After the conception and eventually the the birth, there is a new life. And when that new life is there physically all those new capabilities. You can't wait. The child, we get calls about our children, grandchildren. Noelle can lift her head from the ground. It's so exciting. (laughs) And then then you just keep growing, learning to talk, learning to walk, learning about God. Physically, that's what happens. And spiritually, it starts when we believe we are spiritual infants. And a long-term relationship with God begins... That will continue because it is birth from God. But what you must be is born again. So at the end of this first section, I'm going to ask you a question. It is the question that Jesus asked. It's the question that John the Apostle asks. It is a question that Peter asks right here. And I know you can go in a lot of churches and never hear this question asked, but may it never be that you come to Lake Avenue Church and fail to hear this question. Okay, here it is. It's where it all starts. Have you been born again? Has the gospel of Jesus come to you so that you understand you need to trust Jesus for what he has done in order to forgive your sins and to be made alive to God? You need a birth that God can give you. Have you been born again? Because when you trust Jesus, then the matter is will he be faithful to his word to complete his work? And I declare to you that he will be. But of course, those of us who have been born again, we know, as I've been saying, that we aren't immediately spiritually strong. So that brings me to point two. How does this new life develop? The process that leads to our growth. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, Peter says. All right. It's a little word we pass through, but as I say almost each time I see it. When you see therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's. Therefore. What's it there for? Now that you have received this imperishable seed, now that you're alive to God, don't just sit back and do nothing. Therefore, based upon the fact that now you are alive to the maker of the universe and that his spirit is present in your life, what should we do? Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Get rid of slander of every kind. And then also, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So here it is. The Bible just teaching us that this matter of us becoming spiritually mature isn't like, well, what is it? It isn't like, do you remember those old instant mashed potatoes? Can you still get those things? You get that box of that stuff and you pour hot water in there and it turns into some sort of pasty stuff that people told me was was, was food. Uh, sometimes we think that's what this walk with God is like, instant potatoes that just something happens on us and immediately it happens. And the Bible just says, listen, listen, pull back a minute. Physically, when you're born, you, you just don't come out of the womb being a six foot two, 200 pound middle linebacker. I don't think many of it. women, none of you had a child like that. Right. And there's a whole process and it, it includes so many things. It includes uh, Eating. Uh, it includes uh, uh, getting enough uh, exercise and movement. It includes enough sleep and all of that nurturing that happens in the family. And, and the Bible wants us to sometimes be encouraged in the midst of this. God provides all we need for our growth, but it is something that doesn't happen instantly. And here in First Peter, he doesn't tell us everything about the process. It's only two verses that he talks about it, but he gives us the two essentials in terms of our responsibility To grow? See, one of them is negative and one is positive. What does he say? All right, now that you're alive to God and the Holy Spirit has come into you, first of all, turn vigorously from sin in your life. Rid yourselves. You know that Peter didn't write in English. It was written in Greek. And it is a very strong graphic term that he uses. It means throw it as far away from yourself as you possibly can. It means that when you come into church and this word of the Holy God is open and you see parts of your thinking and your attitudes and your speech that are not consistent with the way God is, then deal with that immediately. Immediately. When there are sins in our lives and you come to church, I've got to sometimes address those and say, you know those things don't honor God. You don't even like them. And the people around you don't like them either, like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Those things don't honor the Lord. So he says, deal with them right now. So if you see some of those things in your life now, give them to God right now. And even if you say, I've given them to him before, and you take them in the back, give them to him again. Because the blood of Christ is sufficient for the forgiveness of that sin. And the power of God is sufficient to make it so that tomorrow can become different from yesterday. It's a part of that process. Throw it away! And the language was usually used of um, throwing away dirty, grimy clothes when you're going into a place where dirty, grimy clothes aren't appropriate. And uh, some of you understand this. You know, I love to play tennis. I've never played a match as long as the Isner Mahut match this past week. See if anybody else is a tennis fan. Uh, Over 11 hours of one match, but I've had long ones. Uh, I remember once when I had three tie-break sets, uh, 7-6, 6-7, and yes, we won at 7-6. And at the end of that, I was supposed to go to a dinner. But I, oh, it was disgusting. I mean, you know how, see, this is too much information, isn't it? But before you could go into this dinner and be where people were formally dressed and be the speaker at this place, you know what you have to do. You've got to get, get rid of that stuff and put on something new. And in the same way, if we're going to represent a holy God and become what he made us to be in the first place, we come into church and we know there are parts of our lives that are so different from the way Jesus lived parts of our speech that just don't build up people, they tear people down, our attitudes, we've just got to throw them off. And I pray that when you come here and we meet together in the presence of God and He opens our eyes to see these kinds of things, that we'll deal with that, give it back to Him, and hear Him say, those sins I will remember no more. And also say, go and sin no more. So one part of that ongoing growth process is dealing with that sin in our lives. The second part, though, is is a positive thing. And I put it regularly, take in proper nourishment. He says, here's what it's like when you're born again, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you'll have the nourishment to grow up in your spiritual lives. He's obviously talking about receiving the Word of God here, the teaching from Scripture here. And he says, what we have to do is to be receiving this if we're going to grow. If you never eat physically, you're not going to grow. And if you're not receiving proper nourishment, you're not going to grow. So what's the problem sometimes? Well, it can be two sides. It could be one of the places to receive that that milk of the word is supposed to be right now when we gather as a church family. This word should be opened and we should hear what God has said so that it can come into us and call us away from sin and encourage us that we really belong to Him. So what's the problem? Well, the word that he uses is crave pure or unadulterated uh, milk. And I think one of the problems may be, and this is a place where I have to look at myself, brothers and sisters, sometimes... We who have been called to do what I do feel this strong tendency to adulterate the milk. When I was at the seminary, I used to talk with the seminarians about this. We live in a world, and it's not just our world, it's been every world, because Peter used to talk with, I mean, Paul used to talk with Timothy about this. You see it in 2 Timothy 4, that many times in the world, if you want to be a successful deliverer of this word, You find out that people may not want to hear what God has to say. Careful teaching of the word. People will say, oh, that's old. It's it's boring. And so you find the strong tendency to try to just talk about the things that people say. This is what I want to hear about. I want to hear a sermon about the seven ways that I can get my husband to notice me more or some self-help, you know, some self-help kind of thing. And so to try to entertain people and keep people coming back to church and and giving to the offering and all those things, this strong tendency is to try to do things that just people like. What did Paul tell Timothy? There's going to be this strong draw toward giving people what their itching ears want to hear. Don't do it, he said. Give them God's Word. So so sometimes I'll tell you, you get a bad milkman. And I... I, (laughs) And I just pray that you'll pray with me that I won't be that. That when we gather in this place, even though I'll talk to you about what I see here, that the center of this will be what God has said. That we will be forced to look at what God has said and we will hear God's voice and have to respond to that. So a part of the problem sometimes is that you may be getting diluted milk. But the other part of the problem is you may not be wanting to get that milk. You may not want milk at all. You just want chocolate and ice cream and Sweets and also hostess cupcakes. All these things that may not really build us up. And so what happens is that if we don't want it, even if the word is going, we don't receive it. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is my prayer. Are you with me here? Balcony two. That if you will come into this place craving his word, longing to hear a message from God's word. And if I come with the deepest desire To make sure that what I'm bringing to you is God's Word. This sermon time is going to be one energized time in the life of our church. It's going to be really easy for me to be a preacher because I don't have to work hard at keeping you alive because you've come into here saying, I need to hear something from God. Even if I have to stomp on your toes once in a while and say, you're not living the way that you should. You're going to go out saying, that's what I needed to hear so that I can become what God would have me to be. And so the process, there's a process and there's so many things involved in it. But two of the essentials is this regular ongoing matter of hearing God's word, ridding ourselves of sin, being encouraged, hearing God's word, throwing off the things that don't honor God. And as that happens, we grow to become more and more like The Lord Jesus who shed his precious blood to begin his work in us. Which brings me to my third question. And that is how we know. The quality that proves we are his. And what I'm talking about is this in between time. Between when we are made alive to God and our spiritual infants. And this process keeps going and we become fully conformed to the image of Christ. The promise that is there. This this time that I began my message with of when, when we ask, am I really in the family of God? How, how do I know that I'm alive to God? So, so I'll ask you at the beginning of this section. If someone were to come to you and just ask you, how do you know that you're God's child? What would you answer? Here's the way Peter, in between talking about being born again... He will talk about this. You have purified your souls into uh, this is the way I've translated it into a sincere love for each other. So love one another deeply because you have been born again. I bet many didn't give that answer. So how do we know that we're alive to God even while we still fail and even while life is still hard? Well, the Bible gives us a number of evidences, so I've just summarized them for you, and then I'm going to come to the one that Peter talks about here. One, there is a doctrinal evidence. What do you believe? It starts by believing Jesus is who he said he is. That he is the Lord of the universe and the Savior of your soul. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he your rescuer? The second is a moral piece of evidence. When we believe in Jesus and our faith is in him and in nothing else, then what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And what happens is we begin to long to live differently. Now, perfection in this is a long process, but a longing to live differently sets in. Uh, the things that you used to do to have fun aren't as much fun as they used to be. I'll just tell you this. There's nobody more miserable than a true believer in Jesus who continues to live in sin. You can't even have fun at it anymore because you're being remade to have fun at something that's much better, Uh, a life that is wholly different. So there is a doctrinal piece of evidence that you believe in Jesus. There is a moral piece of evidence. You start longing to live as Jesus lived. Number three, there's an experiential, very similar to two, but a little different. It's what Peter talks about in in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You begin to crave, crave things of God, things that you weren't interested in before. Now that you're alive to God, you want to know more about them. Sermons become different. I I think I told you this. There was a a young engineer in the first church where I was the senior pastor. And uh, he, he was in his mid or upper 20s. And he'd never been in church before, but he had to go to church because his girlfriend says, I'm not going to go out with you anymore unless you go to church. So he just endured it. He just endured it. But he loved tennis, too. So he and I started playing tennis early in the mornings. And uh, after a number of months, this just went on for months. His name was John. John gave his life to Christ. He came alive to God. About three weeks later, we, we stopped after a set. And he says, Pastor Greg. I can't figure, you're just preaching better these days. What what have you started doing different? (laughs) Well, I always hope that I'm preaching better, but I, I doubt I was. And I had to say, John, I hope it's true. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think you're listening differently. I think before you were dead to God, now you're alive to God. Now when this word is opened, it is a word from your heavenly father to you. Because we begin to crave spiritual things. But fourth. And this is the evidence that the Bible so often brings us to. And and I just want us to think about. Is a relational piece of evidence. How do you know you belong to Christ? Is we begin to love in ways we never have before. And especially we have a specific love. Both for Jesus. And for other members of the family of God. We, We see people. Before, we would have never even wanted to have been with them. And then we're with them for a few moments. And we find out that that person loves Jesus. And we see in that person brother or sister. It's kind of like, like in the book of Acts. You know, when Paul had come to Christ. And then he was supposed to go in and meet with the other Christians. The other Christians thought, hmm, this isn't a good idea. This man kills us. <laughs> but when they met him, the opening words read it in the book of Acts. Brother Saul. Oh, you just read that and you say, this is what happens. All right. It's easier to preach about it than it is to do it. It means, brothers and sisters, that whenever we are truly alive to God, we begin loving other Christians. Yes, we love other people in the world. The Bible commands us to do that. But there is a specific love for the rest of the family. And if it's not there, we have to beware. And it's not just Peter who talks about it. Let me show you the words of Jesus. You know these words, but just look at them again. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, A new command I give you, just before he went to the cross. You love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's by this that everyone, including you, will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Listen, isn't is my warning to you? If you come to church and there are brothers and sisters in Christ that you just will not love, you're the one in danger. Well, look at what John said about it, even more specific than Jesus. First John chapter two, verses nine to 11, chapter four, verses 20 to 21, and there are other places too. but I just put some of them up here so that you can let these words from God sink into your soul and into your mind. Those who claim to be in the light, but hate a fellow believer are still in the darkness. And so he says it again, those who hate a fellow believer are in the darkness. If we say that we love God, yet we hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And God has given us this command. Those who love God must also love God. One another. So, this is a time for soul searching. See, this is the quality that God works in us that makes what I call this Revelation 7 9 church possible. It's the only thing that makes it possible is that when we come into the family of God from every tribe, language, and nation, which is what Revelation 7-9 is about, this family of God is going to be made up of very, very different people. The only thing that's going to make it possible for us to live eternally with one another is that God's Spirit is doing this in us. We know that we belong to Him when this new love for other brothers and sisters begins to grow among us. And Peter uses two terms to tell us what that love looks like. You see, he says in verse 22, it has to be sincere, sincere, and then he says it a little bit later, it must be deep. See that? Your love for other brothers and sisters must be sincere and it must be deep. Now, it, it's almost as if he's writing for Southern Californians here, because what he uses is uh, an image from the entertainment industry and one from the sports industry. Doesn't that sound like us? So, what does our love for one another here at Lake Avenue Church have to be like? It's got to be sincere. And the word there comes out of the theater world. Uh, in the ancient world, you know, I was in Israel, Greece, and Turkey a few weeks ago. We went into many of these massive theaters because entertainment was so big in the ancient world. But it was different from theater in our day. You just would have a few actors who played all the roles. And they were usually men. Uh, men played uh, women's roles, uh, children's roles, old, young roles. And how do you tell the difference? Well, they had masks that they would wear. If you go to these theaters, you'll still see sometimes the carvings of those masks so that they would change characters. They would pick up the different masks and come and be that other character so that the people couldn't see what they really were. And what, what Peter says is, the love we have for one another has to be without masks. It's got to be real. It's got to be truthful. It's got to be genuine. I thought, how can I illustrate this so that you will never forget it? Uh, I thought about it this way. If I, as your pastor, uh, looked out here over the church and I said, oh, there's so many different kinds of people in the church. I don't know if I can communicate to them very well. There are, there are younger people than I am and older people than I am and people of a more vibrant hue than I am. Maybe what I have to do is become like they are. So, again, So I come around and I... And as I preach, I go jumping over the prayer place here and jumping back over. All right. What would you think? Probably what you're thinking right now. Our pastor has lost his mind. I'm hoping you would say, Greg, you don't have to do that. Be the person that God has made you to be. Deliver what God has given you through the personality and gifts that God has given you. Let it be real. Let it be sincere. And that's what he's talking about. Develop a love for one another. Let it be real. Let it be truthful. And that truthful part of love is sometimes so hard because truth and love sometimes clash with one another, don't they? I've even heard some people say, well, I told him the truth. It hurt, but it's, it's the truth, so it must be loving. Well, it may not be loving at all. It may be that you didn't do it that way, but only out of malice or envy. So how do we do this? Well, we always want the best for that brother and sister. We, we pray that they will grow. And then I think that as we deliver that truth lovingly, we find the right setting. We pray that God would give us the right words. It will never be with a desire to tear down. It will never be something that makes us look better than that other person. It must be a sincere, truthful love. And the other word that he uses is deep. It's an athletic term. Uh, Sports were so big in the ancient world, too. You know, the Olympic Games were so big and also in this part of the world. And uh, one of the words that uh, athletes in training used in the ancient world was the word that's used for deep love. It would be as they were training, especially for the marathon. They would get to a point in their training when they just felt weak. Any of you runners, you get to that point, don't you? You just feel tired. I want to stop right now. What they learned in the ancient world is what most of us know now, too. That when you get to that point where you feel, I'm weak, I don't want to go anymore, and you just go a little bit more. You may feel weak, but it builds strength. So that if you stretch yourself just a little bit beyond your comfort zone, that it builds a strength in you that the next day you'll be able to do more than you had done before. You see that? This last week I was pretty sick all week. I spent three days in bed. You would think three days in bed, you'd jump out of bed and you'd be strong. But, but far from it. When you're just in bed all the time, you jump up and you feel weak. Well, the whole point here is, as we are engaging by obedience to Christ in this matter of love, and we have somebody in the church that we say, I, that person's hard to love, and we stretch ourselves out of our comfort zones and love them, we become more than we were. Do you remember Lion King? When you had Simba, the, eventually that adolescent Lion who just had lived his akuna Matata life. (laughs) Some of you don't know that you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Just live however he wants. And then he'd become, you know, sort of the, uh, the teenager. And then his father Mufasa, the spirit of his father, comes to him. And the phrase that always hits me is that Mufasa says to Simba, Simba, you are so much more than you have become. You are so much more in Christ than you have become. And that especially applies to our ability to love beyond our comfort zones. And if you are thinking the very same thing that almost everybody always says to me when I talk about this, but there are so many people in the church who are just so unlovable. Uh, this last week, I was talking with someone in the community who had come here a time or two a number of years ago and hasn't come back because she said, you know, I just found people there who are cranky and unloving. I said, we are, aren't we? That's the way we are. I'm one of those, two. Uh, I wanted her to know that she was, too. I, uh, I, wa- I, wanted, I wanted her to know that. So how are we Imperfect people are going to love one another. It's going to come back to hearing the word of the gospel. So may I again just show you those two parts of the gospel that I keep showing to you that come that Tim Keller, the pastor in Manhattan, talks about. Number one, we are more wicked than we could ever dare to imagine. We are. It took the death, the precious blood of Jesus to rescue us. When God looked at us, he saw enemies. But he loved us anyway so that when we see other people, we have no reason to be arrogant. We can't say, I can't love that person, because we know ourselves. second part of the gospel, we are more loved than we could ever dare to hope. In spite of that first part, God loves us anyway, and if the love of God has come to us, we know it can go to them, and if God loves us, we surely can show that love to that other person. And this is one way you and I are going to know That we belong to Jesus, even while we're in the midst of that process. That there will be a growing sincere and deep love that we know that God himself must have done. And when the world looks at it, and they see people like us, worshiping together and by God's grace going into the community and, and serving together, Sometimes finding ways to sing songs, then we'd think, I never would have wanted to sing that song, but if my brother and sister somehow likes that song, I'll join with them. Singing songs of praise to God. This world will look at this church family and say, God must be in this place. So there is my message to you. There is an experience that begins this walk with God. And so I know that there could be some here Who say you know This matter of craving God's word And this matter of loving God's people I'm not sure I've ever really experienced that Well maybe the real issue is You're not alive yet You're not alive Wouldn't it be wonderful If today would be the day That you receive by faith The Lord Jesus Christ Who gave his life for you So I'm going to end with a couple of things that I've been praying about. I sat down Friday and said, what am I praying for for our church? In the light of this marvelous text, I've called it your pastor's prayer for all of us who attend Lake Avenue Church. I pray that you will, anyone who comes into this place, experience this new birth that God himself offers To all who believe in Jesus. Uh, I just pray that you'll come into this place and somehow know that God is real and that this message is true and that you'll receive that word by faith. Second, I am praying that you will grow in your love for the whole family of God and that what will be growing here in our church family. Will be something that is extraordinary. It's just not a love for people who are just like us, but for the whole family that will see one another and say, as, as the Christians in Acts said, brother or sister. I pray that you and I will not give up in growing, that you won't become discouraged. That when you face trials, as you will, when you face temptations, as you will, when sometimes you fail, as I know you will, you will not give up because God does not give up on you. And that this process of growth will continue to happen in your life until your life brings glory to God the Father. And finally, my prayer is what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 3. Don't you love this phrase? It comes right out of the Psalms. I pray that every time you come into this family gathering, you will taste and you will know that our Lord is good. To his glory. Amen.